On this episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Nightmare Weekend from 1986, a Team Troma release. Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, a movie podcast that features hosts Brandon and Cullen discussing a film considered but not limited to being a cult classic. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. You are a nightmare. You have a hold of me. Come on, quit joking. I'm telling you, I've seen this place. You are a darkness. Analysis in operation. More data, please. You are a nightmare, a nightmare fantasy. You think you're so fucking great, don't you? Oh, go fuck little Miss Innocent. The frightening stranger. Well, Tony, she's all pumped up. You have no conscience. You have no sympathy. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is episode 73. This is Brandon, and as always with me is your co-hoster and pinball wizard, Cullen. And now I'm really glad this thing is called Nightmare Weekend, because it's accurate, because it's a nightmare, and it feels like it takes a weekend to watch. Today we are here to discuss 1986 film Nightmare Weekend. Cullen, tell us what this experiment is all about. A female scientist performs experiments on three college girls that turn them into drooling, murderous mutants. Nightmare Weekend is directed by Henry Sala and stars Debbie Laster, Dale Midkiff, Deborah Huntner, Lori Lewis, Andrea Thompson, and Robert John Burke. Welcome back to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. We hope you enjoyed our humongous satanic panic episode and are ready to get into some more satanic-esque shit through science experiments and that. (laughs) An excellent... Oh, excellent uh, introduction to the movie. Before we get into the movie, we had a nice little surprise for you guys between episodes last time, and we hope you took some time to check it out. What would that be, Colin? Well, we started a YouTube channel, and we have delivered our first riff of Helping Johnny Remember. It's a kind of a etiquette thing, I guess. Just about, about, you know, just being nice to other people and not to be a grumpy person. And to swallow your emotions. You know, stuff like that. Stuff that the 50s taught us. Um, it's been described as kind of glorious. And I think that's... Uh, you know, I didn't describe it as that. And it wasn't a family member. So I think it's accurate. It was very fun. We hope you, you like it. You can definitely expect more of that from us as we slowly roll out our YouTube channel. Maybe some more content in the future. But for now, we're going to have some riffs to go with our show as a companion piece. Yeah, if you you should be able to look up Cult Cinema Cavalcade and and find the channel. If you can't find the channel, I guess contact us and we'll we'll figure it out. And if you hate our podcast but for some reason still listen to us loyally, then maybe you'll like this. It's only ten minutes. It's only uh? ten minutes. Uh? And there's other people talking other than me and Cullen. So hey. Yeah, if you if you want to listen to children and a disembodied voice giving them orders then yeah check it out you know who doesn't really have a disembodied voice but takes orders cullen for flotation devices 
the incomparable Tom Labrie. Hi, this is Tom Labrie again, and welcome back to Night Comfort. And I just want to say again, your support of the all-night movies is very gratifying. Because of that support, we have continued to grow at Labrie's Waterbed Warehouse, and in the months to come, we have some good things planned. Not just at our showroom, but here on Night Comfort as well. We're going to have some fun, meet some interesting people, and do a lot of neat things. So stay with us. Right now, watch this short commercial, and then we'll get back to the movies. LaBreeze Waterbed Warehouse salutes the thousand miles of waterways that give us all so much pleasure. The Delta. We're proud to be a part of one of the greatest places in the world. And LaBreeze is now happy to offer you the Delta Queen. A complete queen-size waterbed with beautiful bookcase headboard and priced at only $188. See it at LaBreeze, where being on the water has made us a part of Sacramento living. Nightmare Weekend, 1986. Horror and effects are a big deal. A company's trying to make a movie, and this U.S. production gets this script from France that they also translate into English, but hire the French director, and he brings a whole French unit over to shoot in Florida. Throughout this movie, they use both scripts. Uh, a French director who, before this, known for developing children's board games and directing erotic films. That seems about right. So he's good at one part of this movie, the other he'd never <laughs> touched before. So this low production, hoping to make their movie and then sell big to a distributor who would wind up being Troma, so how big did they sell? But, you know, this is a home video boom. Troma probably had more money then. But yes, uh, kind of a mess. Not, I mean, production-wise, they just didn't know what they were shooting, and it was hard for people, like a lot of people involved with this movie couldn't tell you what it was about, and it didn't help that they were shooting out of order. Well, I couldn't tell you what they were shooting because it's the darkest fucking movie I've ever seen well, in my life. I have a I have a Vinegar Syndrome like 4K remastered Blu-ray that okay. I watched on, so it's clear. I did watch the the Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime, and I was like, oh my, nearly unwatchable. And that just because of the plot? Question mark. It's just hard to see anything. So we're gonna have two completely different experiences <laughs> with this movie, probably. I I can't wait to talk to, about it with you. So maybe. You can explain to me what the hell happened. I don't know what how it ended. Wait, I can't wait to talk about that. Solve that fucking riddle for me, Brandon. Well, it's credits. The credits scrolled up. That's how it ended. <laughs> they, they did this, and then they ended up wiping out everyone's voice from the movie and dubbing them, and pretty much none of the actors were available except one of the gas station attendant guys because he was, like, the producer on the movie. And oh, the the gas station guy and the other gas station guy. Two of two of the three actors that came back to do their own voice were those two because they ended up doing reshoots in New York where they just wanted more effects added, so they had to fake a lot of things, replace actors with stand-ins, and add all these just like more gory effects. Is that why the movie was so dark? So that way they could cover up their faces. No, so you couldn't tell it was a different person. It, mine wasn't dark. Mine. <laughs> I, did. oh, I, I didn't have any lighting problems. I could see all the like cool gore effects and stuff like that, because that's one thing I will compliment it on. It, the gore effects were pretty rad. Well, it must have been nice to be able to watch the movie. <laughs> there were like two gore effects I could tell you know, were actually happening. The rest of it, I just had to take it on faith that somebody was dying. Oh, that's sad. 
Yeah, it was brought by Troma, and we haven't done a Troma movie since our first year, where we were like, yeah, we're this is the first of many Tromas, and we're <laughs> now back to Troma. Just like we did with like Hard Ticket to Hawaii, we were like, yeah, get ready for Sedaris, baby. And then two years later, two like, years ah, I guess later, we'll get to it. Here you go. Another Team Troma release opens up with a plane landing. And an airstrip and uh, some guys in biker helmets getting off the plane and hopping onto, you guessed it, motorcycles. They radio into uh, Julie, baby, as they get to a house where they're trying to break into it. And a computer warns a puppet of danger as they try to climb. Yes, you read that right. A computer <laughs> warns a puppet. And this isn't like a good puppet. It looks like a Christian puppet show that was right. direct to video. That's what it looks like. What say you, Judas? I don't know. <laughs> One tries to climb the house via a grappling hook? It's two stories. <laughs> it cannot be. Uh, like, bring a ladder. <laughs> yeah, that, that hook's a bit much. But then a mustache man we see sleeping, and the puppet messes with a computer screen, and it says George to Apache. The puppet's name is George. The one guy gets to the top of the house and moves a satellite dish, Note, both guys have a necklace that completes the other. Just uh, point that out there. And a little ball appears and knocks the guy on the roof's eye out, and he falls to his death, and, like, his face is melted off, and, like, blood's just pouring down the steps. And we get the title, Nightmare Weekend, with its own theme song called Nightmare Fantasy. As the credits begin to roll and kids are exiting the administration building. I'm pretty glad that we have another movie where they wrote a song for the movie. And it's also a movie that does not deserve its own song. No. I mean, they even had the opening credits like Nightmare Fantasy by. So I'm like, wow. Uh, A couple girls are getting ready for aerobics. That's Jessica and Annie. And they talk about an experiment on the weekend where they, they get to relax and be studied by a nut. Said, uh, but Jessica says she just wants to hang with her dad, who's a quote-unquote famous scientist. And then we meet Julie again from the beginning, who then checks on her help and says, she- "I don't want to smell any booze on your breath. Got it? Yes, ma'am. That's it. Out. We have three girls arriving tonight. Get their rooms ready. But what about the guys? Mind your own goddamn business." You may look innocent, but you're a slut just like your mother. Ho! <laughs> Ho! Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon. Did we ever find anything out about her mother? Nope. <laughs> so we have no idea if this is true. We, She's just an unpleasant human being. We just know her mother was a slut, apparently, in the eyes of another character in this movie. Which, she's not like her mother because some guy puts the moves on her later and she denies Take that, Julie. We cut to the stage shop, which will be a staple of this fucking movie. This bar where a guy with headphones named Tony, who is, I mean, Dennis Reynolds, I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. He arrives, and he's just, he's everybody's friend, and then there's some, like, I don't know, like, punk biker fucking dude in there with his girl. Then there's this mustache guy who I never got his name. Well, there is a mustache guy in this movie whose name I think is it's either Gary or Tony. 
Tony's the guy and with I'm the b- headphones. I thought the okay. mustache guy was Tony, but then they kept calling the guy with the headphones Tony later on. Okay, so Gary is the is the name of the mustache guy. I think there were multiple people with mustaches in this movie that kind of looked alike, or maybe they didn't. I maybe there's the only one guy. mustache. No, I thought it was the maybe, same guy. I don't know. I can't tell you because I couldn't fucking see the movie. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, he's wearing a different shirt. Is this a different guy? I have no idea. Like, well, he's kind of hairy and he has a mustache. Maybe Tom Selleck's in this movie and I just can't tell. By the way, during this scene, <laughs> like at the beginning of it, we hear someone who I assume is the bartender. I don't know. He sounds almost exactly like Stan Lee. Hey, you know that we don't serve hard liquor here, only beer or soda. Like, I expected him, like, like, what can I get you, true believers? You know, it was so close to Stan Lee. And you, but there's the thing, you don't see who says it. It's just this disembodied voice that's saying it that we just assume it's the bartender that we don't fucking see. So for all we know, it could have been Stan Lee at the bar. Mustache guys kiss the girl, and then the punk dude comes over and he's like... You're quantity, and I'm quality. And then we go, one of Julie's people is there, and he gets a call from her saying to pick up the girls now. It's the driver, uh, the chauffeur, the limo. The drunk. Guy. Yeah, the drunk. Uh, Jessica arrives at the house from the beginning of the movie, and the mustache guy is her dad, and he says he won't have much time for her this weekend. She says George will keep her company. What? This is a different mustache guy, right? Yeah, yeah, this is the guy at the beginning we saw sleeping when they were right, trying to break so- in. So there's one mustache guy that looks like, I can't remember his name is, Major Dad with hair. And then there's the other mustache guy that is... Gerald McRaney? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the other mustache guy is just a sexual degenerate, I think. Yeah, he's like every sexual degenerate in an 80s movie or 70s movie, yeah. Take and there are multiple person. in this movie. She asks about, uh, Julie's apparently coming over and Jessica isn't happy about it and says, she's still after you? And he says, not often enough. And one of the biker guys from the beginning, Ken, is sitting with the bikes and he's like upset about I, the other guy and has a flashback <laughs> to some biker street race that they took part in where he, he saved him from getting hit by a semi. And then Julie shows up and tells him that it was all an accident. Well, what were they even trying to do? There's like something like, in like the ground and they're all just like, going in different directions and yeah like the, they handed around a coffee can put money in it and they just like kind of rode the bikes like in a circle and eventually a truck hit one of the guys <laughs> what were they trying I, to no, do it didn't hit him he like pulled him out of the way just in time he well, got no, saved. Someone got, oh oh okay he got saved <laughs> Thanks, Amazon and Troma, for giving giving me such a great copy of your film. Linda, then, uh, is this blonde girl who's uh, Andrea Thompson, who you might re- uh, people might remember from uh, NYPD. But she's one of the people that like worked after this movie, and quite plentiful. She's been she was in Wall Street, uh, NYPD Blue, uh, Twenty Four, like tons of things. So she gets in the car with her three friends as her mom gives them sandwiches. Jessica sits in her room combing her hair and telling George the puppet about how Annie invited her for the experiment, but she likes him and her dad better. And Ken and Julie then get a a Doberman from a kennel. There was just a sign in the grass that said kennel. He wasn't like coming from a building or anything. It's almost like buying a dog out of the back of a guy's van. 
yeah. You know, it's it's really close to that. He leaves saying, I have nothing to say to you. So Jessica then has George, quote unquote, program the race, which is basically letting her play a video game. But It's a ColecoVision. She, yeah, she <laughs> takes control of Julie's car. Nothing bad happens at this point uh, other than Julie getting a bit scared before yeah, she gets control back. Uh, the, the computer that takes control of stuff, it's not so much science as it is just magic. Yeah. I guess there's Apache. no connection. The, the, there's no way that this computer could just like take control of, of cars. There's no computer to hack or anything to take over in this car. And it takes over like multiple things somehow. The three girls sit in the back of the car eating dry-as-hell sandwiches, and they ask the limo driver for a drink, and he stops them by the, guess where? The stage shop! And they play arcade machines, and one is hit on. Her name is Pamela. She's hit on by the mustache guy from the beginning, who we may think is called Gary, and he's wearing white (laughs) pants and a sleeveless shirt, and he uh, beckons Tony, the headphones guy, and Tony goes out and stabs the air out of the limo's tires in the parking lot. The driver rounds the girls up to get going as the mustache guy begs him to let him come, and he reluctantly agrees. And then Julie shows up at Ed's house, and he says he's not ready. Meanwhile, on the side of the road, the driver is changing the tire on the limo while the Gary and the Pamela are fucking in the back as the headphones... Dude, Tony is dancing by a motorcycle, and the friends just lay around in the grass. Yeah, he's he's standing by a motorcycle, by a tree in the middle of the like field. Air jamming, and, like <laughs> yeah, he's, like, like all right, you've done your wingman duties. You don't have to like confirm penetration. Go, go do something else. Get out of here, you nut. And he is. He's just dancing to his own beat. Yeah, like, you think like the the women that were in the field, like they're having like a picnic by themselves. Don't you think they'd look over, you know, or say something to each other, like, "Why is there a guy dancing by himself in the middle of this field? Are we safe?" And why does yeah, the limo driver be like, "Yo, get the fuck out of the car! I'm trying to change the tire." <laughs> Your weight isn't helping me lift the car. With Your the weight jack. and shaking. <laughs> yeah. And they've got the window down just so they know, like, no, we're banging back here. Just so you know, chauffeur, we are full on doing it. And here's another thing. This is taking place middle of the day. Bright as hell. Open area. Yeah, absolutely. And this is after they left this bar that once they went inside, total darkness. (laughs) Like, it was so dark. And they're like, even outside of my inferior copy, it was clear that it was like, okay, this looks like it's nighttime, but they leave... And then it's like two in the afternoon. And that's a kind of like a reoccurring thing that the time periods are all over the place in this movie where one room is nighttime. And then the next, like you're by a window and it's like three, three thirty PM. Gary gets out of the car and goes up to Tony and goes, well, Tony, she's all pumped up. Let's go back to Billy's bar. She's all pumped up. Yeah. <laughs> I, what does that even, what does that even mean in this context, Brandon? I can't even figure it out. Uh, like, he, he boned her? I mean, I guess, like, I've never heard that phrase. I've been around. I've never said, man, I really pumped that girl up. No, no one talks like that. I mean, like, That's I'm, I'm trying thing. to think of, like, what it has to do with fixing the spare, but you don't pump I... up a tire. <laughs> 
Yeah, we and, just uh, but I guess her, the yeah. other stuff would have sucked. Like, she's all jacked up. <laughs> well, then it just sounds or, like he abused her. I really gave her the spare. I don't think anything fits here. Well, if I really gave her the spares, like, oh, she just rubbed my belly for a while. That makes more sense than I really pumped her up. Like, saying, like, I pumped her up, it, it sounds like I got her ready for sex, and then I just left. Julie gives Ed stats on animals and stuff, but he won't test the Apache project on human lives. The limo shows up at Julie's house, the mansion, and they're introduced to Mary Rose the maid and Harry the butler. Jessica asks to play one more game... And it crashes Julie's car into a tree. She gets mad at Ed for giving his daughter access to Apache. Uh, he tells Jessica that when she uses George to make sure he's not connected to Apache, because apparently Apache is attached to <laughs> Julie's car. I don't, I don't know. Somehow, <clears throat> when the, the, the there are apparently two forms of artificial intelligence in this movie, both in the same. I think they're in the same house. I don't know for certain but yeah like in one of these one of these ai's is hooked up to a puppet you, you know my daughter's how friend the, george yeah you, you know how so many computers use puppets <laughs> julie scolds a skating by jessica with her headphones on just like skating and jamming man does she have an outfit like that's like a team outfit, right? There's like more girls like skating around with that on, right? That she knows. Jessica is like got this like coordinated pads and helmet with her yeah. shirt. It's it looks like she's off to a derby, is what yeah. it looks like. Minus a helmet, but yeah. Ed starts making notes and testing on the Doberman that was picked up earlier, and one of the little like tiny balls that we saw at the beginning shows up uh, like earlier. The dog eats it, and Ed thinks it works out, but worries about long-term effect. Julie's convinced the dog's behavior is completely changed after five minutes. <laughs> the, the dog was acting exactly the same before and after. Like if the dog was like barking and going crazy, and then had the little silver ball, and then it was calm. Like okay. There's a change in personality, but the dog was always just standing there, just staring into space. There's zero personality change with this dog. Jessica shows up at guess where? Uh, just as Ken does. He tells the bartender he's expecting a phone call, and Jessica falls down when she gets in and struggles to keep up on her feet as people laugh at her. Ken helps her out. He takes his. She takes his bandana that he dropped. The ruffian couple from earlier are playing pinball, and then they just, like, up and, like, fuck on the table. Like, on the pinball machine, yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I see uh, a woman sitting on top of a pinball machine, I get nervous for the woman. <laughs> They're taking it back in this movie. <laughs> she wanted it on the pinball machine. She did. She really did in this movie. She ends up going out to Ken's bike, and she puts some sort of sash that she had on her on it and she's grabbed by the punks but easily skates off julie meanwhile calls some guy in a dark room how's everything going everything's fine the tests on the dog work perfectly did the guinea pigs arrive yeah they're here what about break he's never a problem he doesn't suspect a thing you know you've only got this weekend no mistakes if it wasn't for me you wouldn't even know about this and for that kind of money i don't make mistakes yeah, just remember that. I yeah. don't know what the fuck this is. Yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know who that guy is. He never shows up in the rest of the movie, and he's never referenced to the rest of the movie. I'm guessing he wants 
Apache? I guess. Maybe he wants George. Who's to say? I need the George project. <laughs> I got a bunch of ill-mannered dogs. I, I want as much information as I can get to make them nice again. Annie and Linda hang out at the pool as Pamela brings drinks and mentions that she's trying to be a singer, and they all joke and push each other in the pool, getting wet shirts and everything. Right. Like, when she said that, I thought, are you friends? or do you They don't know, know each, each other? other. None of them know each other. That took a while to understand. Like, I thought, I, yeah. I thought, Annie's like, come on, let's, we're all going this weekend. And then they're all in the limo and they're all talking like they know each other. And then now we're like, well, they're Wait. practically sitting in each other's laps in the back of the limo. Yeah. And sharing sandwiches. You don't do that with strangers, not with dry ones. And Jessica <laughs> goes home to George. And ask for info, and she goes, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel so strange. She's basically describing her crush and everything, but then George diagnoses that she's in love. Well, yeah, she says that she feels, like, hot and cold and, like, her stomach feels weird. And I thought, you're not in love. You have the flu. (laughs) Julie tells Ken that she needs an object from each girl, something they won't miss. And Ken goes and takes something from each of their rooms. Ed takes a walk with Jessica and apologizes for being too busy with the Apache. Ken gets caught by one of them and says he's a maintenance. But the, she doesn't just get caught, or he doesn't just get caught. It's, it's, it's a man in her room that she's never seen before rooting through her stuff. And she's like, who are you? She's way too nonchalant about it. She should be freaking out. We're talking who about, are you? We're talking about the girl who fucked Gary. While the guy was changing the tire after meeting him at the bar for two seconds. I guess. I mean, she does She does walk in the room wearing a towel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I guess by this movie's logic, if uh, that's bone it's bone 30, I guess. There are, there are cameras in the rooms that Julie watches, and then the girl covers it and tries to bone Ken, but he walks away. Uh, Pamela then convinces the limo driver to take her back to the stage shop. And she brings back the mustache guy, Gary, to the house. She puts on some music and does a strip dance for him. Ken, meanwhile, sits in bed and sniffs Jessica's sash as she clutches his bandana. Pamela tells Gary to hold on as she goes to shower. Ed and George start doing stuff with Apache. One of the ball things goes on the move and gets Pamela in the shower. Well, like, it, like when you said that you need the personal items, like that's what the silver balls turn into. It's super. They, they'll show like a watch, and then it'll turn yeah. into. Well, I think like this one was like, was it like lipstick? I think that's what it was. But there's like a lipstick, a compact, and a watch, and each one's from a different girl's. Thing is, the rules for what can be turned into a silver ball that change personalities real loose. Yeah. Like, I, like there's an ice cube later. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it doesn't matter if it's organic or inorganic or whatever, just as long as the person has some kind of contact with it. Because, like, earlier in the movie, that, that first silver ball, I think it was turned into a silver ball from someone's, like, their own blood. Like, okay, well, that makes some kind of sense where it would go back to them. But there's other stuff, like, you know, like I said, is like a watch like or, like, a compact? Like, how personal is that to a person to where it would, like, the silver ball would know where to go. It doesn't... I don't know, man. Ah! doesn't make any fucking sense. Gary then, like, has a wet dream about the car fucking from earlier. (laughs) (laughs) 
We get like a full on like recap. Yeah. With I think extra details. And he wakes up with uh, Pamela out of the shower, and she looks all vampy. And Julie watches this with joy from her master control station. And Pamela straddles Gary and is rough with him, trying to bite him. And then Mary Rose, the maid, goes into the kitchen and then freaks to the butler about a spider in the croissants. (laughs) Which he then crushes the spider and puts the croissant just right back over it. Right. It says, he goes, you don't like spiders? How about butlers? And tries to put the moves on her, and she rejects him. <laughs> Smooth, what, dude. Because what woman isn't turned on by seeing a spider squished right in front of them, and then food covering it up? Who wouldn't want to hump after seeing that? <laughs> so the next day, Ed plays with the dog, and Annie tells Linda something weird is going on. It's <laughs> just like, okay. And Jessica... <laughs> Jessica, meanwhile... Based on... Exactly. Yeah. Jessica asked George how she should dress. And how should I dress? Boys who like girls in dresses. 88%. What about the colors? White. White? Are you sure? For a brunette, yes. 74% prefer. Okay. Now, find a way for me to meet him. Mention difficult. Busy weekend. Probabilities for other meeting. Bars, 82%. Discos, 76%. Hitchhiking, 66%. Hitchhiking, that's it. Thanks, George. And then the asshole couple from the bar, we get the name Dane is the dude. They're on a random walk, and she tries to come on to him, the woman, and he walks away, and she goes, Oh, go on, go fuck the little Miss Innocent. So, like, they were, like, searching for Jessica to fuck? I... Sure. Why not? (laughs) Julie gives Ken a VHS tape to get to San Jose as soon as possible. (laughs) Taking George's advice, Jessica goes hitchhiking in a white dress, and a biker pulls over, and she stops to, you know, go up, and it's... But it's not Ken, it's Dane. And he says, you want some pinball action or just any action? She tells him off and runs... Well, he, said, he says, you ain't a bad-looking chick. How about one for the road? That's his... Yep. <laughs> that's him hitting on her. He thinks that will work. Shit, let me drop these panties. My only regret is that I'm married, and I can't put that in my vows. Making making whistling look civilized. And, uh... God, you're right. That, <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. He he gives chase. She runs out of breath, and he pulls up and tries... He doesn't just give chase. He's on He's his on his motorcycle. motorcycle. Yeah, he pulls... Chasing... Yeah, and he like does he like pull up and say like I'm a good guy or he says yeah yeah like yeah that. and he tries to fondle her but she pushes him off the bike and then he forces her to the ground as George sounds off an alert Ed gets the alert but then calls Julie about feeding the dog like her dad is like oh hold on did somebody feed the fucking dog I'll get to that oh <laughs> oh hands on deck yeah how's the dog doing where's my daughter I don't care how's the dog George runs protection Jessica. Here's a question, Brandon. How the hell does George or Apache know that uh, uh, Jessica's in danger? How? Just maybe they, if they have like, maybe all her personal items are monitored by Apache the way that they needed personal items from those other girls in order to shoot the balls at him. And I'm not talking about Gary. 
you know what it would have been nice, uh, Brandon, um, if they explained any of that instead of just the the computer puppet knows. Hey, I came up with that in like two seconds, so it's it's, it's well. It's as soon there. as you get an access to a time machine, go back to nineteen eighty six <laughs> and say, "Hey guys, this didn't make any fucking sense. You should probably let the audience know why the puppet knows that Jessica is being sexually assaulted miles away." <laughs> Ken finds Jessica's shoes on the road. So he wasn't going to end up going down that road on his bike. She was just early. He then finds Dane, and he stops him. Dane pulls a knife. They roll around on the ground, and the computer puts the watch on the screen, and then George activates something, and Dane gets a ball shot into his neck. Ken and Jessica run away. He gives her his shirt. Then Dane runs into the pond, and like his head fucking explodes, <laughs> and George the puppet claps like... <laughs> Yeah, like, like so this Apache can remotely access items and just know, like, oh, it's a personal item. Now I can turn it into a ball to murder people. Is that motherfucker He's- Dane? Get him! <laughs> yeah, like, the, the whole idea of these balls is to go into a person or, you know, like, earlier. That's what she into- said. Hey! <laughs> Better written than this movie. They, uh, these balls will, you know, go into animals and uh, adjust their personalities. And, you know, Julie really wants Ed, the, the, the professor, to do this for human beings so it can solve stuff like schizophrenia and stuff like that. However, we never see any of that happen to people. The only thing the balls do is murder people. I don't see any improvement in personality at all. It's strictly murder. Yeah, things haven't gone too well. <laughs> I think it's go- time to go back to the, the clinical trials. It's not working. So a guy at the garage gas station gets a call from Julie on his cordless phone, and they say they'll have, yeah. they'll have her car fixed by tomorrow. Guess where we're going next? Are we going back to the bar? Yep, the stage shop where Gary tells Troy that he just bought the bar. They're just outside. It's like, hey, and it is literally like like that, where there's just some people mulling about outside, and then he comes strolling up and says, hey, uh, I just bought the bar. Okay. Uh, uh, that isn't important to the movie at all. And doesn't ever become important. Like, uh, No. And Troy tells somebody like next to him, he's like, yeah. His dad buys him everything he owns. Oh, and this has nothing either. Hey, I, I, I own the bar now, so anytime you want to throw someone on a pinball machine and, and just raw dog them, it's cool. Whatever. Yep. Whatevs, buddy. Tony's all about it. Me and Stanley aren't going to say a word. It's cool. <laughs> Ken and Jessica pull up on the bike to the gas station, and uh, Jessica's upset because she wants to be together tonight. But Ken has a business that's important to his future, and if things go well, their future, if it works right. Julie lets a spider loose in the kitchen sink. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a tarantula. It's a tarantula. Be, yeah, it's big and hairy and will bite your damn face off. A scary spider. Back at the bar, Dane's a side piece because I never got a, a name from her. She's wondering where he's been and Gary and Tony ponder and then go with her to find... Some hillbilly tells, they say, I, I saw a motorcycle by the lake. Okay, so they just go. <laughs> well, that guy's voice cracks me up. Like, like this whole movie, like, it's pretty clear that, you know, all the actors have been dubbed, okay? But that guy, like, I thought I saw a motorcycle down by the lake. 
Like that's, yes, that's shocked. exactly what he sounded like. I thought I saw a motorcycle down by the lake. I'm not sure, but I thought it was Dave's bike. Come on, let's go. I like when he started talking. I thought, who the fuck is this guy? Why, why is he giving them information? And why does he sound like a shitty Homer Simpson? <laughs> I thought I saw a motorcycle down by the lake. Oh my God. A motorcycle? Because we haven't seen 80 people driving those this movie. <laughs> no shit. Where they have like mad like biker rally things around coffee pots that are on fire. Was there a sale on <laughs> motorcycles in this town? Why are there so many fucking motorcycles in this movie? Meanwhile, Ed and Julie discuss something wrong with the dog. He's dead. That's what's wrong with the dog. (laughs) Again, (laughs) maybe it seems like we should do some more experiments before administering these things to animals. Because it's not fucking working. Uh, At the lake, three uh, investigators from the stage shop find uh, Dane's bike and search for him. The girl finds a part of the mind control ball that broke off and Ed, then we see Ed leave to go to the vet and tells Julie to cancel tonight's experiment. Julie talks to her contact again to make sure the money's in order for the betrayal. It's just on the phone. We don't see the contact. Also, what's the experiment? Who's to say? Jessica confronts Julie, you know, asking where her dad is and when he'll be back, but she refuses to answer. She tells her to tell him she'll be at her friend's house tonight, and Julie says, I'll tell him. I'll bet the lucky guy's very well hung. (laughs) Based on... Well, Ken pulls up (laughs) to the house (laughs) to pick Jessica up and recognizes it from where Bob was killed, and then Ken, we find, like, Ken and Julie are together? They're lovers? Yeah. And she like goes up and smooches him. He's like, let me explain to Jessica. But she yeah, she it, runs it, away? Like, what? Yeah, is a reel of the movie missing? Like, yeah, like, where did this come? Like, there was many scenes with just Julie and just Ken where we could have got, like, something. Yeah. Other than take this VHS to San Jose. Get over and, the the guy who died. And by the way, that tape, do you have any idea what was on that VHS tape, Brandon? I don't know. Like, like, like Exactly. We don't know. Like, what, what was on that tape? Why was it so important? Why oh, wait, wait, wait. Was it the tape of Gary getting mauled by Pamela, which just looks like two people boning on a bed? It could have been. Who is to say? She didn't even have... Exhibit the- A! Well, she didn't even have the the silver ball like given to her yet. That's just her being a horn dog. So why the fuck would she give this tape to anyone as evidence that their experiments are working? And why are they in San Jose? <laughs> Is it to that that guy that she talked to on the phone earlier? Who fucking knows? Because <laughs> the tape never gets there. <laughs> so Ken calls Julie a world class bitch. And then she says she's done all this for them. Jessica wanders through the forest, and Ken goes searching for her on his motorcycle and finds her in, like, two seconds. Meanwhile, back at the stage shop, the trio of investigators return, and Tony talks to the limo driver, Ralph, and asks what's going on with the girls at the mansion, and he tries to get him, the girl, and Troy invited, and Ken tells Jessica... 
Edna Force that he's in love with her, and he never really loved Julie. And they kiss as the cast of Saturday Night Live is being introduced because that's what the music sounded like. The three experiment girls are getting dressed by Mary Rose. She's not just a maid, she's a stylist. Uh, Pamela is just staring blankly during this, the one who's been hit by the ball. (laughs) And Tony and Gary arrive at the house, so they ditch Dane's woman. The butler reports it to Julie, but she tells them to make sure they have everything they need and and for him to take the night off. By the way, don't you think any of the women that came to this mansion for the weekend would be curious what the experiment is because nothing's happened. They haven't done anything well, experiment-wise. At the beginning, around. at the beginning, they said it had to do with sleeping. That's what Annie told Jessica is at that, the beginning. Yeah, I she said all you gotta do is just that. sleep while some nut job pays attention to you. I completely missed that. I thought it was like something about like relaxing, and I had no idea that's what it was because there's like no interaction with the. Or if there is interaction, it's very limited between um, the w- the women and, and, and Julie, who I guess is supposed to be the one conducting the experiment, I guess. But Ed somehow knows it's possible? Like, he seems aware of these women at this house, yet going, I don't want to experiment on humans. Yeah, then why do you think they're there, Ed? Annie starts freaking like she's having deja vu, and she thinks she's seen this place in photographs Jessica has and tells Linda this and says she warned her that Julie Clingstone is a very dangerous woman. Tony then slow dances with Linda in the living room, like right after this. People are just kind of chilling. Gary's hitting on Annie as she's trying to figure this all out. Julie then runs Apache. Gary and Annie then slow dance, and uh, Linda and Tony go upstairs after they tell each other how sexy they are. Mary Rose is in the kitchen. The spider creeps closer as Linda and Tony get it on. I just had to guess a sex scene was happening. To me, it looked like the scene was lit from a bathroom light down the hall. I could barely... Oh, wow. Because yeah, this was well some... lit when I saw... I saw, I saw her back. I didn't see much more than that. I had to take it on faith that something sexy was supposed to be happening. Oh, my. It, it, it was sexy. Mary Rose gets hit with an Apache ball, and while Linda and Tony are boning, the screen cuts from them boning to like the, the computer screen for the program. It says, Operation PSY, which I immediately thought when it cut to it said pussy. I thought it said Operation <laughs> Pussy. I was, like, I was like, damn. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. It was like the movie Apa- movie wanted me to think that for some reason. Apache planned this whole thing. Apache wanted to see them get down. Operation Pussy complete. <laughs> and then it has George clapping right. again. Another ball wanders itself into the bone zone into Linda's underpants. Annie begins making out with Gary like, because, man, that guy fucking that girl earlier on in our limo was hot. <laughs> So this is the same This is guy. the same guy, yes. yeah. This is a limo fucker, yeah. The guy who owns the bar now. <laughs> it was. It's hard to tell. I couldn't tell if there was one gross mustache guy or if there were eight. I couldn't it tell It was all the him the whole time. What a twist, Cullen. It was all him the whole time. <laughs> Mary Rose on the kitchen floor starts petting the spider. After they finish, 
Tony in his giant tidy whities like <laughs> these are big like look he looks exactly like Dennis Reynolds during this moment gives us this exchange you were great what a weekend I'm walking on air is it your fault what's my fault I wondered if it's you that's making me feel so fine so deep down good I hope so you were great Linda never had it so good <laughs> I liked it. Oh, I liked it. And I wouldn't mind a return match. <laughs> well, the way that she says, I liked it. Oh, I liked it. Like, she's, like, like trying to convince herself that she was into it. I, like, she, she, I enjoyed this, so- right? Like, he's probably staying the night, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I gotta see the, yeah, I gotta see this guy until tomorrow, so I'm, I'll say I'm into it, and if he throws another bone at me, I guess I'll give it a shot. Mary Rose is like kissing the spider now, almost on the ground. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That that tarantula is right on her hand, like right next to her face. Like she is incredibly lucky that tarantula didn't freak out and bite her. Because you know, if um, if uh, if I'm a if I'm tarantula sized and I see something human sized coming at me with its mouth. I'm going to assume it's going to try to bite or eat me, so I'm going to try to defend myself. And it's got, you know, poison inside of it, so it's got a pretty good defense. I just, I cannot believe she did not get, she was unscathed from this. Annie and Gary decide it's time to get their fuck on, and their funk on, because Annie decides to just start dancing. And it's been 30 seconds since we had a sex scene, so... Why not? Do it. Cram it all in. Tony picks up Linda's underpants as she goes to brush her teeth, and the ball shoots into his mouth. And then one zaps into hers from what, like the toothbrush? Yeah, but but these are supposed to be like personal items because the ball was in her underwear. So what was his personal item? Uh, it should have been his toothbrush. Or yeah, <sighs> I. Why would his? Did he just pack his toothbrush with him? I. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did, they, did they use a toothbrush during sex? What, what, what's going on with the toothbrush? <laughs> Ken and Jessica sit on some porch by water, and within the moment of blinking are naked, fondling each other, and having inner monologues. By the way, uh, you know when I mentioned earlier that when, when, they, when they left the bar and it was daylight outside and it was super dark inside, the, the times of day are all over the fucking place. Right. Like, like within, like, three minutes, it looks like a day and a half has gone by. Because, like, when they're dancing, you can clearly see out the window. It's the middle of the fucking day. Right. And and then when they go, like, into the bedroom, it looks like it's nighttime. Like, you don't see, like, a window in there. But it's way too dark for it not to be nighttime in that room. And then when they're on the, on the water, then it's, like, sundown or dawn or something yeah it's it was it was just the the director of this movie had no concept of time at all like it's not important they're just doing stuff whenever it happens like there's some kind of like time time rip happening within this movie that like like that must have been a subplot of this movie because that's the only fucking thing that makes sense to me that time is bleeding out 
and <laughs> it's uncontrollable. Dean Gates, who who was the head of all the special effects and stuff for the movie, he um, he also played the gas station one of the gas station attendants he he said like they were constantly having challenges because they were using two scripts because there was the english script and then the french script and the director kept going off the french script and there was weird that's probably why we have so many weird dialogue moments and stuff and he'd be preparing for one scene they're like why are you doing that that's no that's not here that's not here and he's like okay but i don't know how to read french i'm just gonna keep going off this English one, and there's like battles. So, so that's how we got a stu- uh, uh, wonderful dialogue. Like, I liked it. Oh, I liked it. Yes. In Annie and Gary's room, a ball ends up turning into an ice cube that Annie ends up swallowing from her drink and activates it as she falls in the pool. The butler leaves while also leaving a key. Uh, Annie gets out of the pool, struggling as Julie intensifies the Apache. That's what it looked like she was doing, like making it more Apache. Back with Jessica and Ken, they discuss Bob. They remember Bob from the beginning, the grappling hook guy? Ken says, Why only half? It's a long story. Not very pretty. My friend Bob's got the other half. He meant a lot to you. Best friend I ever had. Until I met you. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah. You met her like hours ago, dude. <laughs> or maybe like eight days ago. I can't tell. So you know what that means? Bob and Ken fucked. Oh, yeah. They had the, the necklaces. He saved his life. But, you know, you, you let me bone you, so fuck you, Bob. <laughs> I'm glad Bob's gone. He wouldn't let me do the things I do to you, so fuck him. He wouldn't let me do the sex. Back at the house, all the Apache-affected people are going crazy, and Gary goes up and tries to forcibly get with Linda during this? (laughs) Because, eh? Annie wasn't working out. Well, his old flame Pamela, he's like, I want the hat trick. Pamela shows up. And starts calling her a bitch, and you want them all, and then Gary freaks and runs off. See, I didn't know that was Pamela. I did. I couldn't tell. I just thought it was some other woman. No, I just it like so, there's three girls so in there, and I was like, "Yep, that's that's the other one." <laughs> it was so dark. I couldn't tell. I just thought. I was like, I was like, "Who is this woman, and why is she yelling at them?" Uh, Ken leaves Jessica and says he'll meet her at the air ranch at nine. Air Ranch. Air Ranch. You know, where they have flying cows? Like Newman's own Air Ranch. Ed returns home. (laughs) He confronts Julie. He says, it looks like you sold me out. You're fired. And then she hits him over the head with something, knocking him out and ties him up. Jessica comes home, begins undressing, and Julie barges in on her and says that her father told her to go to the mansion. Jessica really does get topless a lot yeah. in this movie. Randomly it's, too. Just randomly, like she'll be like she's walking up the stairs when she knows there's other people in the house, and she's just taking off her top, walking upstairs. So she's pretty liberal with her body, but when someone walks in the room, oh no, don't don't look at me. Like what? I don't understand what your morals are, Jessica. Are you why why are you shy sometimes and not other times? I don't understand you 
Ed manages to try and get himself free in the bathroom via a razor in the medicine cabinet. <laughs> yeah. And, that he manages and, to and, prop up on the toilet seat, like, perfectly. Yeah. Understand, when we say razor, we don't we don't mean, like, a, something that you'd, like, a... Uh, like, straight up like a, construction, like, razor, like, a real yeah, razor blade. Not like you're shaving with it. No. <laughs> yeah. And somehow, like you said, he manages to prop it up so it's sitting s- straight. So it's sitting straight. So it can cut through his blades. Like, how the... No movie. No. <laughs> Jessica arrives at the experiment mansion. She finds Pamela, who's combed herself bloody and bald. Is that what it was? Yeah. I couldn't tell what it was. When we see like these women, I couldn't. I didn't understand why they they were like that. Like I didn't. It looked like you know uh, she had like a lobotomy or something because a big chunk of her hair. She was like, "What? How did that happen?" She was like, "And when did it combing happen?" Combing and scraping. Linda knocks her under the the bed. As green gunk is oozing from her face, and she runs off, but then is stopped by Mary Rose, who has a knife, and then she finds Annie, who's deformed, but Mary Rose stabs Annie. Jessica gets grabbed by, guess who? Fucking mutated Gary, and George ends up pulling the plug on Apache. He sacrifices himself. Gary's trying to hump Jessica as he's oozing goop himself, so he got turned in this whole ordeal at some point. Uh, Mary Rose stabs him in the back. Uh, Ed gets out of the house and heads to the mansion. Jessica cries on her ch- on a chair, and Julie tries to comfort her and blames her father for all of it. Then her father arrives and is like, you're a liar. And he gets mad about trying to turn his daughter against him and harming all the kids. But Julie says she's given the orders now. She's got blackmail on him, and he's forced to help her. How are you going to expect to explain all this horror to the police, she says. Uh, and that's a good question, because there are just bodies just everywhere. And he's the creator uh, of the Apache. I only got a sliver of what happened. My, my note for this entire scene is, I think something happens to Jessica. Because I couldn't fucking <laughs> see anything. It was just blackness and limbs. I saw a knife. So And I saw something get stabbed. I have no idea what happens. At the air ranch, Ken is preparing the plane, and Julia radios that she's on her way. Hello. Hello, Ken, honey. Where are you? I'm here at the air ranch. Did you collect the money from San Jose? Yeah, I've collected the money. Okay, wait right there. I'll be right over. We're rich, baby. We're rich. <laughs> Not we. Me. You made one big mistake. See, the cashier's check was already made out to me. What is this bullshit? No bullshit. I've got the videotape, too. Ed is destroying evidence as Jessica's, like, happy now? Sorry, Daddy, I'm in a hurry. Kent's waiting for me at the ranch. I'll give you a call from campus, okay? Oh, Dad, wish me luck with Ken. Thanks for reactivating George. Yeah, like, like literally, the last thing that we saw happen was this pile of death that is on top of including her. her friend including her friend and then you know she's freaking out and then she's like oh hi dad <laughs> i know i feel like th- th- this is the one time where they made this movie and we're like oh fuck this this part coming up doesn't fucking make sense we need to add something and they added this jessica arrives at the airstrip at the same time julie does 
but Mary Rose was in the car the whole time with Julie and slits her throat. And she, Is that what happened? Yeah. Because <laughs> to me, it was just the maid, she was there somehow. <laughs> I never saw her in the car or anything. Yeah. I just I just saw her appear and start... <laughs> And and slit someone's throat. I have no idea who she killed. Yeah, when when Julie's on the phone with Ken and he's like, "Not you, me, bitch." Uh, you see a hand coming out from the back seat. I saw none of that. Mary Rose goes after Ken, and then George runs the protection Jessica as Ken smashes Mary Rose's face with a wrench. But then a a ball hits the garage door he's standing under, a heavy one apparently, because it falls on Ken and smashing him popping his eyes out and just blood going everywhere. Jessica screams, and that's the end. So who knows what happens to who? By, by the way. What about San that? Jose? <laughs> yeah, the, well, the tape's already in San Jose. No, it's not. He still had it. That's what he told her on the phone. <laughs> Someone wrote him a cashier's check for this whole thing. Uh, and he says, and I God. still have the VHS tape. Uh, everything you said. Like, like the, the last thing I saw was uh, someone getting their throat slit. I saw that. I saw Jessica saying Ken, her scream, and then the words the end show up. Everything else was just black oh nonsense. Oh, my. I couldn't see. Because like, Ken's last, death is awesome. The last 45 seconds of this movie, I had zero clue what was happening. I couldn't even understand what was uh, happening from the sounds it was terrible oh uh, i didn't notice till i i i, I rewatched ken's death because it was cool but i didn't notice till the second when i rewound it that there was uh, a little ball that showed up for two seconds and hit the switch for the garage door to fall down i didn't notice that till the second time but yeah he he picks up this he goes in this like garage in the hangar and he picks up this massive wrench and then like clubs mary rose over the head which her head like fucking kind of explodes based off of it as he's like as he's like yeah the garage falls on him and kills him right in front of jessica and his eye and they show a close-up on his eyes popping out and like all this goo coming out of his face that would have been nice to see that's a fucking shame i (laughs) yeah but the the highlight of this movie is like all the gore and it looks like that it was like yep dark it absolutely was. It was just. It, it was a little bit better than having the um, the camera lens uh, covered with the lens cap. <laughs> it was a little bit better than that. Oh man. Well, so don't watch it on Amazon Prime. That's oh, that's a fucking shame. Yeah, this was a. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna say a chore, but it was. Uh, there was some effort into watching this. I watched it once to take notes, and and then like as I was like looking over it, like I have no fucking idea what happened in this movie. Oh my gosh, thought, oh, you can't see I, shit. I'm watching it on Troma TV, which is the same rip. I thought. Oh my god, yeah, you can't see anything. What a fucking catastrophe! Yeah. Someone call Rob Delaney. We got a catastrophe. I watched this movie twice. First time I took notes. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. So I, I thought, hey, watch it again. Maybe I, I missed something. Maybe I was looking down at, um, at my notes too much. And I watched it the second time just straight through. No notes, just watching it. I had less of an idea what the fuck was happening. And I focused on it. I don't know what the hell. Why is it called Nightmare Weekend? Well, it took place <laughs> over a weekend, and the events happened I, were kind of a nightmare. I guess... 
But it's just, I mean, I guess you call it Nightmare Weekend because you can't call it Computer Puppet Murder. Apache. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Although it was 86, you could call it stuff Apache back then. Yeah. Was was the professor just a big fan of the Sugar Hill Gang? I don't was know. Is that why? Maybe, maybe. I oh my! I don't know why it was called Apache. Yeah, that well, lingering mystery of Nightmare Weekend. I have several mysteries from the film. <laughs> to me, the most effective part of the lighting crew was the sun. My <laughs> gosh! Yeah. That was, those were the only times I could see what the hell was happening in this movie. The rest of it, I just had to take it on faith that the film was still playing. Now comes the point in the episode where we rate the movie we just watched. As we are cult cinema cavalcade, we keep things nice and culty. Our options are as follows. Stay with your family, which means like Jessica, you're not going to go on the experiment. You will stay with your dad, your family, like dad and George. Converted, which means you're down with giving the Apache program to animals like dogs and Dobermans, but it's not quite ready for humans. And drink of the Kool-Aid, which means, you know what, screw the experiment uh, stuff so far, but I'm going to say, like, you would actually sleep with Gary, the mustache man, in a limo while the tire's being changed. Your friends are outside. The window's down. There's a man that looks like Dennis Reynolds with headphones on, air jamming by a bike during broad daylight. So, Colin, how do you rate Nightmare Weekend? The, the, uh... Lens cap accidentally on edition. So from what I saw of the movie, there was a puppet controlled by a computer, someone being thrown on a pinball machine consensually. There was graphic mustache use. I mean, I kind of understand what the plot is, but it's not executed very well. God, this thing's a mess. There's no two ways about it. This movie's a fucking mess. And I have to swear, because it's that big of a fucking mess, my rating might be a bit slanted because of the quality of what I saw, obviously. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm converted just because this thing is just such a, a, a dumpster fire, just, just to see how incompetently it was made. There were times where I felt like I was watching a John Rad movie. But I think that's because of the poor copy I saw, because the lighting was was trash. Ah, it hurts so much. Brandon, how do you rate Nightmare Weekend? You mentioned John Rad, but this feels right up there with a kind of movie I tend to love when it comes to the type of stuff that we enjoy, like Dangerous Men, like Troll 2, where it's just a, a complete disaster, like a complete mess on like every level of competency, except this one has, which you couldn't see them, because yours was the Blackout Edition. Uh, the gore effects are like awesome in this movie. There's like one big highlight, and it's, it's watching people get mutilated and stuff, and they actually, I mean, they just went you know, gung-ho. The Dean Gates, who headed it up, said, you know, this is my first job being in charge, and I was just going to fucking go for it, and he did. Yeah, uh, the movie doesn't make sense. It's it's weird because everyone's 
dub, but they're all American actors. There's a weird law, like communication issue throughout the movie. And when I found out that I had two scripts, one in French, one in one in English, that made total sense. There's crazy weird sex moments. There's they feel a bit too intense for something like that, which makes it even crazier. It's so weird, bizarre, crazy. Still, like I laugh. I enjoy the gore. I, I drink the Kool-Aid on it, and it's just movie's so fucking bizarre. It makes no sense. I mean, there's you can tell certain things happen, but I don't know what the point of this whole thing is. It's not mind control, right? It's uh nope. And what the, the guy on the phone who was added in reshoots, by the way, the guy on the phone. It's the uh, one of the producers' dads, who's also a producer, who did which didn't help the movie at all. No, no. <laughs> Good job in the reshoot. Yes, the reshoots. The film was shot in Florida. The reshoots took place in New York, just some like garage space. I guess if you got to see this, you need to get the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray of it, or sign up for Exploitation.tv, the streaming app, because it. I'm I'm willing to bet their transfer of it is on there. If you're on Troma TV or Amazon Prime, it's apparently a 40th generation VHS rip that turned the brightness all the way down and the black level up. But I think this thing is fucking crazy. People went on to have good careers. A couple of people did that because it's got the dad from Pet Cemetery. We didn't really talk. He plays Ken. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about him much. And Robert John Burke went on. The guy who played Dane, the shithead that fucks the girl on the, or the ping pong table. He went on. He's gone on to do uh, a lot of stuff. He's in RoboCop 3, Tombstone, Two Guns recently. He's... You know, still working today. Yeah, this movie is crazy. Like, and my favorite thing about this and doing research is looking up the people on IMDb to see what else I might know them from. And all they're in is Nightmare Weekend. That's awesome. And as one of the producers said in this movie, like, it's like we took all these people and plucked them from obscurity and then put them back (laughs) right after. Because apparently the women working on this film thought this was going to be huge. Like, he said, I'm glad it's become a camp classic. I'm glad people laugh, but I can tell you with 100% certainty these people were trying to make an actually scary horror film. They were trying to scare you, and they were trying to like make it dark and serious. So he's like, I think that he goes to me, that's even funnier. But he said all the women on it thought this was like their huge break, and were kind of divas on the set, like they were gonna launch from this. Like one of them, apparently they, you know, they got paid. And then they were all, you know, comped breakfast at this one diner down the road from the hotel. And she, every morning, would order, like, one of everything and just, like, be trying little things and not eat, like, everything. Just kind of acting like she had, like, made it. But that's even more. There's funny story. Like, the the, the, the Blu-ray has Dean Gates on here, who is the, the effects guys I mentioned. And Gerald Gottlieb, the executive producer, who is just like, yeah, it's... Yeah, there's a piece of shit with my name on it, but hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but I got paid, so. Yeah, and I sold it. To, it's his only credit was this movie. He was done after it. He's like, maybe it's not in it. I wasn't in it for me, but you know, he gave Lloyd Kaufman another excellent piece of trauma in the trauma library, which you wouldn't guess would be trauma, but then you watch it and you're like, this is a classy trauma picture, in all honesty. <laughs> Not classy well, as in, like, graduation day. The darkness level of the movie is like, yeah, this feels like a trauma movie. <laughs> <laughs>
On the next episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade, we'll be discussing Rollerblade, and we're sticking in 1986. So come back for us to talk Rollerblade from 1986. Don't forget, though, uh, we have this episode today, but this Friday's another Friday the 13th, and we've got Jimmy O returning, as always, as we discuss the remake, reboot, reimagining, whatever it is, of Friday the 13th from 2009, and also coming on for that episode to talk about his experience in the movie is Kyle Davis, who played the hillbilly pot farmer Donnie, but you may also know him as Lil Kevin from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Be on the lookout for that. Very excited for that episode. They're always so fun to do. There should be a Friday the 13th every goddamn month, but we only get them once every while. Thanks for listening in, and we hope you tune in again Friday. Uh, This episode, however, has come to an end. We look forward to next time, but first, stay tuned for the trailer for Rollerblade, the trailer that actually trails. Rollerblade. The city of lost angels. The second dark age. From the rubble of the failed industrial world comes a mystical cult of sensuous she-warriors. Risen from the ruins of dead technology, they embark on a savage quest to defeat the evil army of a demonic warlord. Their mission, to save his helpless victims from fiendish torture and torment. This is the dawn of the age of Rollerblade. Wielding their mythic weapons of martial arts and psychic healing powers, this sisterhood of curvaceous crusaders battles to rebuild a battered land. In this realm of blood and lust, automobiles are rusting hulks, and roller skates are the only escape from ruthless ravagers. Witness the clash of two forces in a cataclysmic duel that explodes in an exciting climax of raw power and passion. Experience the ultimate futuristic fantasy adventure on wheels. Rollerblade from New World Pictures. Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon Peters. Narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. First time I saw you, sipping your drink at the bar, I just thought you were terrific. I felt something real deep, something nice. I'm not so used to that. Tony, you're a really wonderful guy and very, very sexy.